You're listening to Business Extra, a podcast by the National in Abu Dhabi. I'm your host, Cody Combs, speaking to you from the COP28 Climate Summit in Dubai. In this special ongoing sustainability series of the podcast, we're recording from the COP28 Climate Summit in the UAE. Climate talks often conjure up images of smokestacks, car exhaust, and even aviation contrails. There's also the mental image of endless climate meetings hosted by prominent politicians and policymakers. But what about big tech? What about the companies that paved the way for the post-industrial prosperity around the world? What about the companies that many consider to be the new power brokers? They too have a role to play in climate stewardship. They too are competing for attention to make their climate priorities known. And they too have a presence at COP28. Of course, there's artificial intelligence as well, with many suggesting that it too has a role to play in reducing carbon emissions. At the center of all this is Google, the once little search engine that could turn into a worldwide tech juggernaut impacting all of our lives. Joining me now from the hustling and bustling COP28 climate conference in Dubai is Kate Brandt, Google's chief sustainability officer, to discuss the company's vision for climate, AI, and the tech road ahead. First of all, Kate, you have government officials here at COP, of course. You have NGOs, climate advocates, climate activists, sustainability startups. But what is Google, the tech giant that affects all of our lives on a daily basis, what is Google doing at COP28? Yes, well, first, thanks so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be with you. And Google actually has a long history of attending COPs. This is my third one attending on behalf of the company, but Google's been coming for over a decade. And we really see our role as twofold. The first is to support a strong outcome in the negotiations. We've been longstanding supporters of the Paris Agreement, uh, and we like to lend our voice of support from the business community. And then the other thing that we do here is we share the technology that we're building. It's all about building tools and solutions for our partners, policymakers, businesses, and individuals to support them in their own sustainability journeys. So that's really what we're here to talk about. And this year, we're very focused on climate and AI. There's a lot of talk about AI affecting so many aspects of our lives. Some might find it odd when it's used in the light of climate or sustainability, yet that's what we're seeing. Where does AI and Google, for that matter, what does it bring to the table in terms of sustainability progress? So we published a report uh, a week ago now with uh, BCG, Boston Consulting Group, looking at exactly this. What is the opportunity for AI to accelerate climate progress in this decisive decade. And, and as you know, you know, a big conversation happening here in Dubai is this is the stock take. This is our first look at how are we doing against the Paris Agreement. And of course, the, the TLDR, as we'd like to say at Google, too long didn't read, is we're not on track. We got to get to that 43% reduction by 2030. And what the report found is that AI can be a major accelerator. We know from the IPCC, we have the technology, we have the solutions, we need to deploy them and to deploy them more rapidly. AI can enable up to a 10% emissions reduction by 2030, so this decisive decade. And just to kind of put that into context for you, that's roughly the equivalent of the emissions of the European Union. So big opportunity to help drive progress with the existing solutions we have today. Back in October, Google announced something called Project Greenlight. What is it and how's it going? Yes. So in this report, we identified three opportunity spaces for AI, information optimization and prediction. So this sits squarely within that optimization opportunity space. Uh, Greenlight is a fantastic initiative out of our Google research team. And Greenlight is based on the insight that at traffic lights in cities, 
uh, there's 29 times more emissions when cars are idling. So not only is it annoying to sit as a red light, as we all know, but it's really bad for the environment and for air quality for that community. So what Project Greenlight does is it uses AI to analyze traffic patterns and then provide traffic engineers with recommendations for how to better sequence traffic lights. So you get that green wave effect. You know, we all love that experience of green light after it's green wonderful. light. And what that means is not only is that a better experience, but also 30% less starting and stopping and a 10% uh, reduction in emissions. And so we've been piloting this work in 12 cities so far, uh, from Rio to Haifa to Hyderabad and several others. Uh, and the team is excited to continue expanding this work. And, and the thing I would note about this that I really love as an example of that opportunity space, that 10%, is no new sensors, no new tech required. This is just about AI, better understanding information we already have, and then sharing it with the decision makers, with the traffic engineers, to make life better, to improve the environment. And what's been the reaction so far from uh, city officials and the people, frankly, who are implementing this technology now that we have some results? Yeah, so what we're hearing from the research team is that it's been very positively received um, because, again, it's... Uh, it's an easy solution. It's a no new technology required. It's putting in place some easy recommendations that are having a difference. Also, back in October, it was announced by Google, you were using AI to combat floods, wildfires, extreme heat, things along those lines. That's, those are lofty goals. Those are very ambitious things for a tech company, even the size of Google. What's the latest with those efforts? So this really falls into that opportunity space I mentioned around prediction. Uh, so flooding is a topic that our research team has been looking at, actually going all the way back to 2018. And predicting riverine flooding is something that until recently was believed not to be possible. And the way that we're doing this is the team has built a global hydrologic model through the power of AI. And what that enables us to do is predict riverine flooding seven days in advance. And so we're making that information available through a platform called Flood Hub, where communities can see those warnings. And then also through that information, through other publicly available data, we're pushing out SOS alerts through Google Search, through Google Maps, so people can get that information in a timely fashion. And then also our Google.org, our philanthropic arm, has given grants to aid organizations like the Red Cross and the Red Crescent to help train community members and communities where people may not have smartphones to also enable them to share these early warning signs. So this is extremely important. It's helping to save lives. We know just a couple months ago in August in Chile, they were experiencing terrible riverine flooding, and these alerts were enabling the communities to get out of harm's way. Just a few months ago, Stuart Russell, prominent computer scientist from University of California, Berkeley, said that while there's hope with AI, he warned against something he called actionism. He said AI can help around the edges, but then he said something to the effect of, quote, but climate is a collective action problem. We already know what to do, but we're just not doing it. Do you think that there's a happy medium to be struck with that? I mean, we can do more with AI, but also we as individuals need to take that information we know we learn from AI and implement it. Yeah, I mean, I think AI is fundamentally about enabling. It's about enabling people and organizations uh, to do more, and in this case, to take action. And I think it comes back to what we were talking about a moment ago. We have the technology, we have the solutions, we need to deploy them more rapidly. And so these insights around optimization, you know, the other opportunity space we haven't talked about yet is information. AI presents such a powerful opportunity to make information more accessible. And so we have great examples of that. Uh, we teamed up with the UN recently 
uh, on a, a platform called Data Common for, for the SDGs. So this is a partnership with UN Statistics. They have all this information about how are we doing against all of the SDGs, climate, and beyond. And this tool brings together all of that data with an easy chat interface so you can ask it questions about progress. And that's one of those great examples around unlocking information so people have more insights to make more progress. You talked a little bit about being more efficient with technology and how technology is used. And you kind of said, okay, we can save X amount of energy. That's the size of, I think, the UK. Is that something to that effect? Uh, 10% of global yeah. emissions, which is equivalent to the European Union, in fact. It's, it's, those are amazing numbers. What doesn't get discussed a lot is the carbon footprint of the web. Some estimates say with servers, the whole thing, the carbon footprint is equal to that of the aviation industry. In what ways can that be curtailed, making perhaps servers more efficient or even making the, the coding more efficient so it takes less energy? Is that something in Google's wheelhouse? Absolutely. No, I'm so glad you brought that up because, of course, we see huge opportunities for AI, but it also needs to be managed very responsibly, and that includes the environmental footprint. Um, and so in that paper I mentioned that we published recently, we go into great detail about this. We don't all, only talk about the opportunities. We talk about, about the risks that need to be managed. And the most recent study that we point to is, is from a paper published last year that points to globally data centers represent about 0.1 to 0.2% of emissions. So that's still a relatively small number. But what we know is that AI is in an inflection point, and it's hard to predict what the energy consumption is going to look like in the years to come. And we actually identify that as a research gap where more work is needed. Uh, but there's several things that we know from Google, from companies that have been building and managing hyperscale data centers for a long time, that we can make them highly efficient. So first, that's that's the first principle. We need our data centers to be as efficient as possible. And at Google, we've been driving on that for years. Today, we're getting about three times more compute for the same amount of electricity as compared to five years ago. Then there's how you actually train the models themselves. And uh, my colleague, Dave Patterson, published a paper last year sharing best practices for how you can much more efficiently train models. And it pointed to solutions that can reduce the energy consumption by 10x, the emissions by up to 1,000x. Then there's the hardware for the AI. Uh, the TPUs, the tensor processing units, is what Google's using to run a lot of its AI models. There, we're also driving on making those as efficient as possible. And one of our most recent models, TPU v4, is twice as efficient than the previous one. And then the fourth piece of the puzzle is the energy that powers the data centers. So we can make them as efficient as possible, but they're still going to require energy. We want that to be what we call 24 by 7 carbon-free energy. So that's carbon-free energy every hour of every day on every grid where we operate. That's our goal for 2030. We're 64% of the way there. So that's how we're thinking about it. We don't just talk about tech on this podcast. We talk about big picture future topics, but sometimes we have to look to the past to inform the future. Five years ago, the title Chief Sustainability Officer, that title was few and far between. Now you see it more and more. And I guess what I'm getting at is it sounds like a really, really cool job. But can you just talk a little bit about your job? What, what does that entail, Chief Sustainability Officer? Yeah, so you're absolutely right. I think that we are seeing a growing uh, number of CSOs across businesses. And I've been really fortunate. I've been a CSO for over a decade. Uh, my first CSO role was actually in the U.S. federal government. I was the first federal Chief Sustainability Officer under President Obama. And now I've been in this role at Google for eight years. So what the job really entails is 
you get to work with your entire business. I am working every day to think about our strategy for how do we bring forward more solutions for individuals, for businesses, for cities to help them solve their climate challenges. Uh, And then, of course, thinking about our own operations. How do we continue driving progress and how we operate our data centers, how we engage with our supply chain? And then I also get to join you you at events like this. Uh, A lot of it is about partnership. It's about getting out there understanding people's needs, building more partnerships, uh, and I'm always learning. So that's one of the things I love about this work. And we don't have a crystal ball, and I know Google, like other tech companies, we don't like to reveal future products or future announcements, but what can we expect from Google's sustainability efforts in the year ahead or the years ahead? Yeah, we are going to remain really focused on kind of the three pillars of our work that we've been talking about. First, how do we enable individuals? And a lot of that is going to be powered by AI. So more solutions like eco-friendly routing in Google Maps. This is, I don't know if you've had the chance to use this yourself, but uh, folks may have noticed a little green leaf has recently showed up in your navigation. That's showing you the most fuel-efficient route if it doesn't already have Uh, the fastest ETA, and that's also having real-world impact. 2.4 million metric tons of CO2 equivalent emissions that have been avoided since that tool went into use. That's the equivalent of taking 500,000 fuel-based cars off the road. So more solutions like that, more solutions that are easy for individuals to have information at their fingertips to make the most sustainable choice. And then also more solutions like Greenlight that are going to enable cities or organizations to reduce their footprint. So that's what we're focused on in the year ahead. Google's very seasoned at uh, teaming up with governments and NGOs and trying to implement some of these sustainability solutions through AI and through some of Google's technologies. How can Google help cities and countries throughout the Middle East achieve some of their sustainability goals? Yes. So we have spent a lot of time looking at opportunities to support cities. And there was a city summit here uh, at COP the other day So we often find that cities are on the front lines of climate action, that they're often feeling the impacts most acutely. You brought up extreme heat earlier in our conversation. Uh, And also they have the ability to be more innovative. Um, So I would really advise it's great to empower your cities to make them laboratories of innovation uh, and then to bring in partners. We are very keen, whether it's through solutions like Greenlight, which we talked about, or we have a whole platform called the Environmental Insights Explorer. This is available for 42,000 cities around the world, and it has insights that can start a city on their climate action journey, the carbon footprint of their buildings, of their transportation systems, the solar potential of their rooftops. We've got a lot of sun here, I know. <laughs> um, and, and other insights where trees are located and where you might be able to plant more trees to create more shade to deal with urban heat island effects. Um, so I think cities are a huge unlock, and I would really recommend checking out this tool. And Kate, a non-Google question, you've witnessed the sights and sounds of COP28. What do you make of the atmosphere here so far? Yeah, I, so I, I've been here on the ground for about four days now. And uh, I think I think there's a positive atmosphere of momentum here. It was great to see some things uh, over the last couple of days, like the commitment around tripling renewable energy by 2030. We're very supportive of that ambition. Also, a lot of great progress on methane. Uh, and also, outside of the negotiations, I think it, I've seen so many constructive conversations amongst partners figuring out how do we unleash the power of technology to support cities, to support businesses. So I'm feeling a sense of optimism right now. Kate Brandt, Google's Chief Sustainability Officer, thanks so much for joining us on your busy schedule this COP28 for Business Extra Podcast. Thanks so much for having me. 
That's a wrap for this episode of Business Extra recorded at COP28 in Dubai. Thanks so much for listening. Please remember to follow Business Extra wherever you get your podcasting content so you can get the episodes as soon as they come out. This episode was produced by Doa Farid, Phil Green, and Arthur Edison. I'm Cody Combs reporting from COP28 in Dubai. <laughs>